Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Boomerang. Thank you for being here today. Really excited about the lesson today. It's entitled, How to Use Your Testimony. We've been doing some really great lessons in this Andrew Womack series. Uh, this is actually the second to last one in the series. And as I've been studying it this week, um, the Holy Spirit's just been giving me more and more and more and more. So I'm going to be 95% of my pastor today. We're going to try to get this all in, in the amount of time we have. But there's a lot of really good stuff here. And uh, when you're using your testimony, there's a whole lot to unpack about what that means, about what evangelism means. George, don't nod your head no. We're unpacking this morning, George. <laughs> George and Barrett are in the process of moving, so they have lots of boxes that they're going to be unpacking. And today we are going to be unpacking how to use your testimony. So before we get started, let's bow our heads and we will seek the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, happy Father's Day. Thank you for being such a good, good father to us. Thank you for pouring out all of your abundant love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to draw us closer to you, Lord. May our hearts be open to your word today, that we may hear exactly what you would need us to hear, what you would have us to hear, Lord, that we can turn around and apply it in our lives today, tomorrow, and every day going forward. We thank you for these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm actually going to flip up the lesson just a little bit today. We're going to do a couple of questions up front just to sort of whet your appetite, and then we're going to proceed into teaching the lesson. So, J.D., if you could uh, pull up Mark 16:15, or Chris, or whoever's managing all of that. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So the first question is, who is the gospel to be proclaimed to? All creation. All creation. Now we're going to go to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Here's verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So who should be, oh, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So who should be discipled? All nations. All nations should be discipled. Chris, I'm really hot over here. I don't know if you can dial me back just a little bit. There, that's much better. Thank you. All right, and the third one we're going to do is actually one the Holy Spirit wanted me to add uh, prior to teaching the lesson, and that's in John chapter 6, verse 44. 44, please. John chapter 6, verse 44. So Chris is looking that up. Give us just a second since it was one that I added. Here it comes. Get excited. No one can come to, the f to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the thing I want you to keep in mind as we walk through the lesson today, talking about how to share your testimony, who does the drawing? The Father does the drawing. Do we do, we do the drawing? Should we carry the burden of doing the drawing? Nope, that is not our job. Our job is to let the Holy Spirit, let the Father do that drawing. 
So it's very important to keep that in mind as we go through the lesson today. Now, this is a long, pretty long lesson, and as I was reading it, I sought the Holy Spirit in whether or not I should read uh, the example that Don Crow includes in here. And what I got from the Holy Spirit was someone needs to hear it. So whether I think it applies to my life or not, there's someone that needs to hear me, either here that's with us today or someone who's watching uh, on live stream or watching the archive. Today I want to talk to you about using your personal testimony. Acts 5.42 says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Notice that the disciples of the early church met in the temple every day and from house to house. They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Many people feel a house-to-house -house or door-to-door -door type of approach is unnatural or uncomfortable. And I want to share a few, a few things we've learned in actually going out, having doors open for discipleship, and seeing people converted and turning to Jesus Christ. It's not nearly as hard as you've been told. And one of the things I noticed in the scriptures is that the Apostle Paul used his personal testimony three times when talking to an unconverted person. In Acts 9, 22, and 26, he gives his testimony, his experience, and what happened to him as he talked to unbelievers. One of the best approaches we have found in bringing the message to G to, of Jesus Christ to other people is what we call prayer walking. We go to a door, knock, and tell them. We're just in the area praying for people. We believe God hears and answers prayer, and we wondered if you're having any problems in your family, health, or other problems, and would like us to pray for you. Sometimes they say, well, yes, I have a problem, and would like us to pray for them. Other times they feel a little uncomfortable or embarrassed and say, no, we don't have any prayer requests at this time. Then we just begin to tell them our personal testimony. I say... I notice you have children. I have three of my own. So this is now Don's personal testimony he's sharing with people as he goes from house to house. On December 14, 1981, my girls, who were, born, who were twins, were born. The second twin born was stillborn. They reply, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about that. Then I say, don't worry. Let me tell you what happened. I begin to tell the story. The second twin to be born had a breech birth. That is, she was born feet first. Oxygen was cut off from her sometime during the birth process. She was stillborn. That is, she was born dead. The midwife picked her up, slapped her, hitting her as hard as she could, suctioned her lungs in case fluid had filled them, did everything she could, and finally gave up. I was like any other father. I just lost my daughter. This is Don speaking. What am I going to do? At this point, I say to the people at the door, I would like to ask you, have you ever read much of the Bible? They say, well, I've read a little bit. Or sometimes, no, not really. I explain, the reason I'm asking is because the Bible says in Acts 10.38 that Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I'm just going to tell you what happened. You can take it or leave it for whatever it means to you, but my baby was dead, and I was thinking that in a few days we would be burying her. I thought to myself, I just want to hold her. As I went to pick her up, I felt an evil presence over her, which the Bible calls a demonic spirit. It physically attacked me and paralyzed me momentarily. 
Immediately when that happened, I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you unclean spirit to get off this baby, and I command life into this child in Jesus' name. That little baby, who had never breathed, gasped, took one breath, and then ceased to breathe. I said again, in the name of Jesus Christ, you unclean spirit, I command you off this child right now and life to come into her. This time she gasped several times, breathed, and continued to breathe. I call the person I am talking to by name and say, you know, after a period of about three minutes, a person without oxygen to the brain has brain damage. My daughter is perfectly normal in every way. We named her Vita, which in Latin means life, because we wanted to tell the story of what God did for her. He brought her back to life. From that time on, I've studied the Bible a lot, and this is what I've discovered. Just like the unclean spirit over my child, there is a kingdom of darkness, a dominion of Satan and his rule, and there is a kingdom of God's son. When Jesus came to the earth, he began to call people out of the kingdom of darkness into his own kingdom through repentance and faith in him, receiving the forgiveness of sins and turning to follow him. I don't know what you believe, but I'm just telling you what happened in my family and in my life. I want to tell you the real reason we're at your door. Jesus told us to go and make disciples. I realize a lot of people are busy and can't go to church or don't want to. If you have a question there, you can raise your hand and say, Pastor, what does what you just said, what does that mean? So this is why we're coming to your door. In 10 minutes, we have a concentrated teaching from God's word. Then we go to the scriptures and ask some questions to make sure we all understand. It's really a dialogue that goes back and forth. We're not preaching at people or telling them what the Bible says, but trying to help them discover what it says by asking a few questions. Would that interest you? We'll set up a time at your convenience, come here to your home, and just talk to you and give you a lesson. If you don't get something out of the very first lesson, if it doesn't help, encourage, and build you up, you'll never see our faces again. We're not here to bother you, to get you to join a church or organization or anything like that. We're only here to tell you what Jesus Christ did for you personally and help you to come to understand the word of God for yourself. There are a lot of things in the Bible we don't know or understand completely, but we're here to offer you a short study. Would you be interested in that? A lot of people have said, yes, I would be interested. So we set up a time to go into their homes and begin these discipleship lessons. We're not there to do what I call microwave evangelism, twist their arm and get them to say a little prayer when they don't even understand what they're doing. We follow the discipleship lessons and help them understand Christ and him crucified. I told a pastor about our discipleship lessons, and he said, Don, what happens after the first lesson? After the first lesson, a person understands what they need to do to respond to Jesus Christ and to receive the mercy and pardon he offers. We are not high-pressure salesmen. That's not our approach. But through the first lesson, they'll come to the realization of what they need to do from their heart. He then asked, well... What happens after lesson 15? I said, after lesson 15, if a person has stayed with us, they will have repented of their sins and been water baptized, 
baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're seeing that kind of thing happen not after Lesson 15, but even after Lesson 6. In Matthew 28, Jesus said to go into the nations and make disciples. In the process, baptism, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the midst of discipling, we bring understanding of Jesus Christ and him crucified to the unbeliever. In bringing that understanding week after week, we build a relationship with them, a friendship. They come to love and trust us. We're bringing God's word to them, not coming to preach at them. We're reading the scriptures, getting them to read them, and asking questions in a way that they see the answers from God's word for themselves. Week after week, we see people come to a place where they're willing to openly confess Christ because they know what it means to accept him, to follow him, and to be committed to him. It's much different than many of the evangelism approaches today. The way we go out to teach the lost is, first of all, by personal testimony. And each of us has a personal testimony. Many times we write our own tracts or stories. I wrote one called The Death of My Daughter, which I leave at doors many times. Other people in our discipleship evangelism team have written stories like A Slave Set Free by Joe Rose, who was bound by alcohol and drugs, and The Death of a Dope Fiend by Rocky Forey, who was bound by drugs since he was 15 years old, and Jesus set him free. We tell these testimonies at people's doors. Some people say, but I don't have a dynamic testimony. I didn't see my baby raised from the dead after eight minutes. I realize a lot of people don't have those kinds of testimonies. You might have a testimony like Andrew Womack, who had the power of God sustain his life throughout his childhood, kept him out of sin, filth, and ungodliness most people deal with. Each one of us has a testimony, and if you don't think yours is dynamic enough, use mine. Use someone else's. When we first began our discipleship evangelism teams and started reaching out to people, Joe Rose used my testimony, and after a while, he gave it better than I did. So I'd just say, hey, Joe, go ahead and tell them what happened to me. If the Apostle Paul used his personal testimony three times in the New Testament in reaching the lost, you can do it too. We have computers today with all kinds of you know, wonderful programs like Word uh, that you can type it up really quickly. It's very easy to set up a story of your own personal testimony. It's much more effective to say, this is not something I bought at a Bible bookstore. It's what happened to me. It's what happened to me. So I'd like for you to sit down and begin to write your personal testimony. What happened to you? How you came to Jesus Christ? Then give your testimony to someone as if you were presenting it at someone's door. If you need more information on the subject, there's a website here. It's called crowtracks.com and look for or look at the information there. Uh, there's an article actually I went and looked up. I'm going to read you uh, some of the pieces from it. The title of the article is Tips on Sharing Your Faith. So write your own personal testimony, practice presenting it, and study tips on sharing your faith. It is very important that you study it, not just read it, as you go out and evangelize the nations one person at a time. And Don says to God bless you, so God bless them. So what I you know, got out of this as I was reading this is that it's really about making your personal experience with God and with Jesus accessible to other, other people. 
there, most everyone in this room, you all have testimonies. You all have some experience you've had with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, in some powerful, meaningful way. And I think sometimes we think that it's our job to get in someone's face and say, do you know Jesus? Right? We hear about all those people all the time, right, that are just bold and brash, and that's great if that's their approach. I think for me, it's been keeping those testimonies in the front of my mind, right? I reference them a lot. I lean on them a lot. And then what I find is interesting is God brings opportunities in front of me for me to share those testimonies. So my example is actually a testimony of a testimony. How about that? You ready? So I'm at work. Uh, I have a colleague at work who's, who had not been saved. Uh, in fact, we knew this and we'd been praying for him. A number of my staff, my fellow staff, and actually my director and I uh, had been praying for him uh, to be saved, to seek the Lord. And our testimony, at least initially for him, was he saw it on our faces. He saw that we were easy and light. He saw that we were bright. He saw that we brought Jesus with us everywhere we went. And it all started with him walking in my office one day when I was sitting with a colleague who's also spirit-filled, who also knows Jesus, who also has some pretty powerful testimonies. He walked into my office and he shut the office door and he said, can I ask you guys a question? Sure, absolutely. This person is an attorney, so interesting that he should be coming to us to ask a question. So he sat down and he said, why do you go to church? Tell me why you go to church. Here's the thing. If you're not ready to tell someone why you go to church, I would really ask you to purpose yourselves to sit down and write down some of your testimonies and some of your experience, even if it's the experience of simply feeling love and feeling welcomed and feeling connected. That speaks to people. So my colleague and I spent probably over an hour just pouring into him about why we went to church, why it was so meaningful for us, why we wanted to fellowship with other people, why we felt it was important for us to be at church, right? So we could minister to our friends and our family. And that spoke to him. And he wanted some of that. Now, did we immediately ask him to say the prayer of salvation? Nope. The Holy Spirit didn't lead us to do that. It wasn't our job to do that. We had heard, he had told us, that a friend of his had invited him to go to another church that Sunday. And the leading I had in my spirit was, that's when it's going to happen. I'm not going to be there. But guess what? I got to help plant a seed. I got to help water a seed, right? Someone else got to do the harvesting, but I got to play a critical, critical role in that process simply by sharing my testimony. Not because I pounded down doors, not because I approached people boldly, and I'm not saying that that's not a worthy approach if the Holy Spirit leads you to do that, right? It is all about being led by the Father, and if all you do is God puts you in a place so you can smile at them, that is a seed planted for that harvest. Because what did we learn in that scripture in John as we started? Who does the drawing? Who does the drawing? He does the work. 
It's our job to be obedient to know for any one individual we come across, we need to be ready in season and out of season. We need to be ready to be a seed planter. We need to be ready to be a waterer. We need to be ready to be a fertilizer, right? Good stuff. The key, though, is knowing what your testimonies are, right? Brian and Nicole invited me to be a part of two of the Connection Show recordings yesterday, which really blessed me. But part of what Brian wanted me to do was to share my testimony. And I actually had to ask him, which testimony do you want me to share? Do you know how amazing that is to even be able to ask that question? Where do you want me to start? I've got so much to share. It's going to take me two weeks to unpack everything that's happened to me in three and a half years. Where do you want me to start? We all should be there. We all should be ready in that way, right? Even for each other. So it isn't just the lost that need seeds and water and fertilizer, right? There are times when I'm planting seeds in Priscilla. There's times when Sharon is watering my seed, right? There are times when I simply smile at Tara and it brightens her day. And that's all I need to do. So it becomes this cycle of we're planting, watering, fertilizing, harvesting, planting, watering, fertilizing, harvesting. And we could be at any one process anywhere at any time. That's pretty powerful. So I'm going to go into um, a couple of the references that Don uh, has on his website because I think they really add to, they add some additional depth to this lesson that I really wanted to be able to share with you guys. So one thing he says in this article is, where did the believers evangelize? In the temple area, common to the Jews, this is referenced in Acts, in the synagogue, in Acts, this is, these are all references in Acts, throughout the entire cities, in the desert, on the bank of a riverside, in jail, in prison, and according to Acts 20, 21, and 22, it was publicly and from house to house. A paraphrase of Acts 1.8 would state, evangelism begins in your own hometown, then surrounding cities, your state, country, and then to the world. Evangelism begins where you live, anywhere there are people. In Acts 8.4, it states, the believers who had fled Jerusalem went everywhere preaching the good news about Jesus. In comparing Acts 1, it is clear that everyone except the apostles went everywhere and evangelized. Such was the result that within 300 years, the entire Roman Empire was exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why was that? Because everyone was evangelizing. Everyone was sharing their stories. And if they didn't have their own story, they were sharing the story, the story of Jesus. That's amazing. In 300 years, how much ground was covered? So what was the method and approach of evangelism? By studying methods of evangelism, we can conclude that true evangelism uses all of the scripture, the whole counsel of God in reaching people. The reason why one set of scriptures or one approach to evangelism does not work with everyone is that men's hearts are in different spiritual conditions. So you can't come up with a recipe and keep using the same recipe. 
because it's not going to work every time. And it's also not about what we think is going to work, right? We've, we, we should work towards being prepared for the Holy Spirit to use us anywhere at any time, right? So here are some examples. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus' approach to the woman caught in adultery was grace. Actually, that's in John. Jesus' approach to the woman at the well required a word of knowledge. To Zacchaeus, it took a dinner invitation. To the rich young ruler, Jesus ministered the law. It took the law to show this man the need of a savior. So do you see that Jesus had such a fellowship walk with God that whatever situation he was put in, he knew precisely what was needed at that time. Right? The idea that evangelism is a method such as a salesman approach is false. Jesus followed the rich young, or allowed the rich young ruler to walk away. He let him walk away. We are not after quick decisions, but rather converts who will go on to become true disciples. Bill Fay, in an excellent booklet on witnessing, states, we need to get away from a win-them mentality. People do not put their faith in Christ because we cleverly force them to believe. We must realize that if we win someone to Christ, he's probably not saved. D.L. Moody, the evangelist, was riding on a train when a drunk came up to him and said, Mr. Moody, I'm one of your converts. And Moody replied, I'm afraid you are because you're obviously not a convert of the Lord's. R.A. Torrey said, one of the great faults of Christian work today is haste. We are too anxious for immediate results and therefore do superficial work. Many of those who followed Christ came to him slowly. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Peter, and even Paul, although the final step in Paul's case seems very sudden, are cases in point. Three days after Jesus appeared to Paul on the way to Damascus, Paul came out into the light and openly confessed Christ. One man with whom slow but thorough work has been done and who at last has committed his life to Christ is better than a dozen who are rushed through the sinner's prayer and think they have accepted Christ when in reality they have not. It is often wise to plant a truth in a man's heart and leave it to work. The seed on rocky ground springs up quickly, but it withers just as quickly. Scripture reveals a vast difference between try trying to twist someone's arm to get them to say a sinner's prayer and one crying from the heart without manipulation for mercy from God and forgiveness of sins. Notice the following scriptures reveal that salvation results from the free will heart response of people resulting in conversion, and not by well-meaning people pressuring premature decisions. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Notice who asked what to do. It was the people who were under conviction. And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to them. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Do you feel his heart? 
his heart was open. I don't care if it's a sprinkle, it's water, and so I want to be baptized, right? He was open to receiving it. But you have to wait for the right time. A certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Who opened her heart? The Lord. He does the draw. He does the drawing. A jailer said to the Apostle Paul, What must I do to be saved? Again, a man under conviction who had just witnessed an earthquake realized he needed salvation. It was the unbeliever who asked how to be saved. Again, this is evidence of an open heart that wanted Jesus. No manipulation was involved. A rich man asked Jesus, Good master, what shall I do that I inherit eternal life? This man asked the right question to the right person. A thief knew he was a sinner and under just condemnation. Out of his heart's need, he cried, to, he cried for Jesus' salvation. Lord, remember me when you enter into the kingdom. And Jesus said, Today, at your death, you will be with me in paradise. A tax collector humbled himself before God, beat his breast and cried, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God accepted him, forgave his sins and declared him in right relationship with God. The man's heart was opened and prepared to receive God's grace because he knew his need for a savior. Anyone that has done a lot of evangelism is aware of the problem that I'm addressing. Evangelism takes discernment and skill at using God's word. It also should not stop short of an invitation to receive Christ as both Lord and Savior, but it should never be manipulative. He goes on in his article to talk about um, a couple of some various tools that he uses. But I would challenge you today, if not today, if not this afternoon, because you're busy with families and Father's Day, I would encourage you to find time this week. Find time to sit down, write down your testimonies. Write them down so you don't forget the details. Sometimes it's the detail that someone needs to hear. Right? It's the little piece. And then ask God to show you the opportunities to share them. Because you know what? He will. If you have an open heart and you're ready and your testimony is prepared and he knows it, He'll use it. Maybe not when you expect him to. Maybe not when you expect him to. But we should all be ready. So we're going to close with a couple of uh, questions uh, related to our scripture. So Chris, if you would pull up Acts 28, verses 23 and 24. And there they come. Philip, oh, there you go, Acts 28, 23 and 24. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. From both the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. So the question is, when Paul expounded and testified about the gospel, how long did he do so in order to convince people of the claims of Jesus? 
six to eight hours. That's a long time. Right? And back then, there wasn't much else entertainment. So a lot of people, I think, just sat for six to eight hours, right? Because that was the entertainment for the day. But if you think about that now, I mean, these lessons that we've been teaching over these, you know, 48 different lessons, they're supposed to take about an hour. And what did Don say his testimony was about applying the first six lessons? That a lot of people get it by the time you get there. Just keep planting those seeds and let the Holy Spirit do his work. In Acts 16, verse 14, we just were reading this. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira. I had to practice that one. Too many syllables, George, for this morning? Sorry. A seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So she was obedient to be there, right? She chose to be obedient to listen. Paul was obedient to share Christ. But then who opened her heart? God did, right? God, God opened her heart. And then uh, let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? What happens when a person's heart is opened and they are convicted? They ask. They want to know, what, shall I do? what, what am I supposed to do next? That, that's evidence that their heart's ready, that their heart's open. Right? And I think that's been my experience with my colleague at work. He, was, he maybe wasn't saying those exact words, but between the lines, it was, why do you go to church, and how can I have what you have, and what am I supposed to do to get there? That's what I was, my spirit was hearing him say. His heart was softening and was becoming ready to be harvested. And then Acts, this was a scripture the, the Holy Spirit actually gave me this morning. So this is one I added, uh, Chris. This is from Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. Day by day... Continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who was adding to their number? Were they? No, they were simply obedient they were obedient to the Lord's leading. They were obedient to sharing the story of Jesus. They were simply being obedient. It was the Lord that added to their number. So how many times in church or in religion, right, are we scolded or commanded into, you know, save the world, save the world. It's your job. It's your burden. It's my burden. It's not. It's not my burden to add to the number. It's the Lord's burden. My job is to be obedient to do what he asks me to do. And if today that's planting a seed, if tomorrow it's watering that seed, because what I'll tell you is, is my colleague was saved that weekend. And he came back to work on Monday and he was glowing. Glowing. And what I've watched happen now is now he's saved and that's great. 
But what's wonderful is periodically he'll just come in my office and he'll shut the door and he'll say, so I'm reading in 1 Timothy and this is what Paul is talking about. What do you think about that? Talk to me about this. I want to know more. His heart's open. So here he is already saved, but here's a heart who's wanting to be discipled. So my job, my obedience to my Lord is to not only be prepared to plant a seed in the unbeliever. My job is to also help those that do believe become stronger in their faith. Woohoo! That's exciting enough to get up and dance around about, right? Because the testimonies that come from sharing your testimonies are almost as good as just sharing your testimony. It is. It's amazing. So if you have any questions about sharing your testimony, what that looks like, whether or not, even if, if for some reason your flesh is telling you, my testimony's not powerful enough, my testimony's not strong enough, seek out Pastor Nicole, Pastor Brian. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Barrett. Any of the other leaders who you know have shared testimonies in the past. Help us. Let us help you. Right? Know and grow how to, how to get there. So I thank you for your attention today, and I did pretty good on time. So let's close in prayer. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being the one that does the drawing. Thank you for the one that does the adding. Thank you for the one that softens our hearts, Lord. And thank you for the opportunity, the opportunity not only to know you, and to know your son, but to share you with others. If that's as simple as a handshake, a smile, just being present, saying a word. If that's sharing Jesus in a specific example. If it's encouraging someone, exhorting someone, drawing them towards you, Lord, use us. We open ourselves up to you, Lord. We crucify our flesh and we offer ourselves as a sacrifice as worthy sons and daughters to share the story of your son, to share the stories in our own lives. We thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for having drawn us And we love you. And we bless you on this Father's Day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. We'll see you.